So like many girls who grew up in small southern towns in the 1970s, my mother gave me a copy of the book White Gloves and Party Manners before I entered my teenage years. Some of you may know that book. It has a yellow cover and it features a pencil drawing of a girl wearing what looks like a chiffon dress with a sash flowing out behind her. Only her white gloves contrast with the yellow background. Something about the book intrigued me. Even though growing up in rural North Carolina meant that I might not ever need some of the instructions inside. There were instructions on how a lady should swivel her legs around to get in and out of a car. That did not help me in the least when my boyfriend picked me up in his brother's truck. It had a running board that was the height of my waist, and I wasn't thinking about swiveling when I hurled myself up into the cab or jumped back out. But I did find it helpful to learn all about silverware and how to serve someone a plate of food and how to introduce a friend to my parents. And I pulled out the book when I addressed our wedding invitations just to make sure they were up to code. In many ways, though, I saw the information in white gloves and party manners as just a set of rules I needed to adhere to in order to do well in the world. I missed that underneath all the lessons in etiquette lies something much deeper, much more important. The purpose of manners is to make others feel comfortable, respected, and honored. Their purpose is to strengthen relationships. If we use them as a litmus test or as a means of distinguishing between social classes, or if we refuse to be flexible with them when the situation might call for it, then we are using rules of etiquette in ways that go against their intended purpose. We are sacrificing the spirit of the law in order to adhere to the letter of the law. It's what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of doing on multiple occasions. In today's gospel reading from Mark, it can seem like Jesus is acting as a lawgiver. But context makes all the difference here. The Pharisees come to Jesus to test him. They already know that the law allows for divorce. Deuteronomy speaks of the situation in which a man finds something objectionable about his wife and so writes her a certificate of divorce. What isn't so clear, though, is what this something objectionable really is. Would that be infidelity? or just letting a red shirt bleed all over an entire washer full of white clothes, which has happened. There was quite a bit of debate about this in Jesus' day. One school of thought in Judaism took that particular passage from Deuteronomy to mean that divorce could be permitted for any number of reasons, while another school of thought understood that term, something objectionable, to be referring only to adultery. Jesus shifts the whole discussion. He points to something much deeper than just the letter of the law, much deeper than how great or how slight an offense must justify a divorce. It helps to know a little bit about the culture in which Jesus is speaking. We're not talking here about divorce as a mutual agreement. Although in Roman society a woman could divorce a man, this wasn't the case in Jewish society. It was a patriarchal world, and marriage was seen as a contract. 
that a man had to, according to Jewish law, give a woman a certificate of divorce at all before sending her away, that may have been seen as a progressive step in and of itself. At least it meant that she would be free to marry again. But still, divorce left many women impoverished and vulnerable. As we see over and over again in Jesus' ministry, this injunction against divorce is really an expression of concern for the most vulnerable and weakest members of our society. Jesus takes the emphasis off the debate of how great or how small an offense might justify a divorce and instead points to the original intent and spirit of the law, caring for those who are vulnerable. In some cultures today, especially those in which women aren't allowed to work outside the home or in which they are seen largely as property to be transferred from one household to another when they reach marrying age, divorce can still render women incredibly vulnerable. That can also sometimes be the case in our own culture. But even in the best case scenario, when divorce is a mutual agreement, and both parties find themselves socially supported and economically sound. Even then, divorce is a complicated, painful event. I happen to believe that in some circumstances, the way to be most faithful to a relationship is to allow it to end. In some cases, especially in cases of domestic abuse, Divorce may be the only way to protect children from violence. Sometimes the relationship is no longer life-giving for those involved. Sometimes it may be the best option in front of us. Many times it isn't. Unfortunately, many people who experience divorce find themselves confronted with these verses from Mark, often at the hands of well-meaning Christians. Maybe it's happened to some of us sitting here. But to take these verses out of context and to quote them to people experiencing pain and the loss of a relationship is, I believe, to miss Jesus' point completely. Because to do that is to do the very thing that Jesus accuses the Pharisees of doing. It is to see the world through a lens of law and not of relationship. It is to adhere to the letter of Jesus' words, while sacrificing the spirit in which they were said. What underlies Jesus' teachings is a concern for those who are vulnerable, a respect for each and every person, and a desire to see all of us made whole. If we use a particular passage of scripture in ways that don't support those things, well then maybe we need to take another look at the text. To be honest, I think that sometimes we resort to rules that are cut and dried because they require less effort, less time, and less risk than actually entering into relationships with one another and finding out about the particulars in one another's lives. When it comes to the river of life, it seems easier to live on the legalistic surface than to dive deeper into the ever-flowing stream of mercy, grace, and love than to become sources of that mercy, grace, and love. But that's what Jesus calls us to do over and over again, to go deeper, to see beneath all the religious rules to the grace that underlies them, to see life not as a contract but as a covenant. This is the way God enters into relationship with us, 
The question Jesus poses indirectly is, can we live that way with one another?